All right, y'all, what is happening? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. Uh, we're going to get in uh, in deep on a few topics today. Well, first and foremost, I got a compare and compass review for you guys. Uh, today, I'll be doing uh, Boys in the Hood as well as uh, Menace Society and South Central. So you know where I'm going here. So we're going to break those down. We're going to get down into the plot, and we're going to compare and, like I said, compare and contrast between each of these movies because uh, they're all again they're similar in many ways but then again they're definitely their own uh, entity so we wanted to highlight that as well and then finally we'll be getting into some football uh, I wanted to preview both the conference championship games uh, in terms of the AFC you have the Chiefs facing off against the Titans and then in the NFC championship you have the Niners uh, facing off against the Packers so two epic uh, playoff battles of course uh, so we're going to talk about uh, what we could possibly be seeing on Sunday and then I got a, a State of the Union address today too uh, we're going to be I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Browns as well because we're going to talk a little bit about one of their coaching add-ons today so we're going to give a I have a special state of the union address to my my Browns and to the Browns organization I'm going to tell you guys how I feel all right y'all but we're going to get right into it of course with this upon further review segment here of course today we'll be comparing and contrasting South Central Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society we're going to start off with Boys in the Hood now Boys in the Hood will come out about uh well, uh, the same year I was born, I believe in July of 1991, and of course this was the directorial debut of John Singleton. Uh, now this cast and crew is assembled of Cooper Gooding Jr., of course Ice Cube, Lawrence Fishburne, you also had Morris Chestnut, uh, Nina Long, uh, Nia Long, excuse me, Regina King, amongst others. Uh, now this was nominated for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. Uh, John Singleton was actually the youngest director to be nominated as well as the first African-American director to be uh, nominated for Best Director. So, um, again, so some prestige coming with this movie. Again, uh, no matter what the subject was about, again, it was a really great movie from beginning to end. Uh, we, you know, for those of you, you know, I think we all kind of have an idea of what this movie was about. Uh, we've all, you know, I would say 90% of you guys have probably seen this one. Uh, Cooper Jr., Cooper Gooding Jr., excuse me, plays the titular character, well, the title character, the main character, excuse me, Trey. Uh, this is his life and experiences in South Central, of course. Lawrence Fishburne plays his uh, father, Trace, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Jason Styles. Morris Chestnut uh, plays one of his best friends, Ricky. Of course, Ice Cube plays Doughboy, one of his first acting roles. Uh, you have Neil Long playing his love interest Brandy and of course uh, Regina King is one of her friends Salika so again this is basically detailing you know the experiences in which uh, you know Trey is facing uh, racism from the police. Uh, you do see in the beginning of the movie his house is vandalized after he moves in with his father. It's a, it's a difference. Uh, well, uh, well, you do see that you know over the plot of the movie his father uh, he lives in South Central, of course, but his mother uh, she becomes educated and so forth. Uh, she moves on from that, and again uh, she's you know she inquires about Trey would like to him to move back, but he decides not to. Uh, this one. Um, Again, like I said, this does describe, um, well, it has some family friction in this one, too. You have the, the rivalry between uh, Doughboy and Ricky. Uh, well, you know, it wasn't necessarily a serious rivalry, but, you know, it, it did come to some blows near the end. You get, did get to see some of that dysfunction as well in the single mother household uh, where, you know, in, in one instance, she's, uh, you know, praising one son. Uh, she's also tearing down another. You do see that paradigm, too. So there's a lot of things that I reflect in this movie again um you know of course you know with the, with the death of ricky you see the revenge killing with doughboy he goes back and goes you know targets the other crew uh but again this is these are all you know storylines these are all things that will go on you know in those communities south central compton even if you go to north you know the oakland and san francisco in those in those time periods even back east again there was a lot of this going on you know maybe not as much as the gang activity as you would see in some of these other movies uh but again 
you know, still the violence is still, you know, dysfunction within the single parent household. Even you get to see that within uh, the, the single father household. At first, there was some, you know, uh, trepidation between him and Trey, but then they were able to develop a bond. And one thing that I will speak to, uh, you know, when I compare all three of these movies is the connection or the role, excuse me, that the, the father rather played in the film, especially with or the father figure uh, character played with their uh you know the the son counterpart so we're going to talk a little bit about that when we compare these films as well because there was a significant amount of uh positive uh fatherly influence in both of these movies or well, in all three of these movies in some sort of way or it was just in a way it was wisdom and it was you know being you know thoughtful of the situation and knowing the ramifications of that even if it was just about that giving the advice part of it you definitely saw that as well uh but again uh boys in the hood hit on hit on a lot of different uh subject matters again uh the single mother household the athlete uh that eventually you know just so happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time they get you know caught up in the situation that happens quite frequently uh you, you are left with more single mothers in the community that's an example of what's going on with that um again it's it's vivid of what was you know going on you know if you lived it wow if you didn't live it you know you had at least an idea of what to look of, of what was going on um completely original of course uh this is you know again uh one of the the quintessential pieces of john singleton's work if, if you haven't checked it out, I would say check it out. Definitely, in my opinion, uh, I would say a 10 out of 10 uh, of all these movies. I, well, yes, this is going to be the 10 out of 10 here. Uh, up next, we have Menace to Society. Uh, we're going to break this one down. Uh, this one came out in 1993. This was directed by the Hughes brothers, uh, Alan and Albert. Now, um, you know, they were a big tandem. You know, they made black movies as well right in that early 90s period, right along with John Singleton. So they have a few more out there. I, I, I don't want to make a guess and be wrong, but I think they did Above the Rim. I'm not too sure about Poetic Justice. That might have been a John Singleton flick there. Uh, but again, they, some of the more notable black movies, especially around the early to mid-90s, was either done by these, you know, either John Singleton or Albert, the, I mean, the Hughes brothers. So again, now, uh, Menace to Society, this one is a completely original screenplay as well. This one stars... Uh, you know your, t your 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 main character Kane. He's played by Turner Turner. You also got Jada Pinkett uh, playing his love interest in this one. Ronnie, uh, I think Lorenz Tate makes one of his debuts in acting in this one as O Dog. You also got MC8 as A Wax. Uh, you even got appearances from uh, Bill Duke and Too Short. Okay, so this was a pretty deep movie as well. Um, and you also got Arnold Johnson uh, playing uh, Kane's grandfather. Now this one is very interesting because again this is a whole different set of circumstances and uh boys in the hood uh yes his parents were separated but it seems it, you know it seemed that at least his birth parents you know were able to provide for him in some type of way uh trey's dad jason you know was able to raise him and provide a provide shelter for him up until he was able to go to college which he was able to you know move on and do uh get him to go to college he ended up going to morehouse so you know he was able to get his son through there his mother had you know he decided to move in with her she would have been able to take care of him as well i believe she was she had become a lawyer at that time and was making some decent money and wasn't living in the hood so either way he would have been okay you know it didn't really matter who he decided to really live with uh in this situation you got Kane. he's coming off the bat being raised by his grandparents because his parents i uh, can't remember yeah they're they're gone and i know you know just how that is because i was raised the majority of my life by my grandparents so i know exactly what that you know what you know what that all is all about and i get that and so it's a different situation off the top so there's no parents involved at all it's just his grandparents and they're older in age as well and he's coming into his own he's you know much stronger he's much you know he thinks he's he's smarter but again he's he's still you know bumping his head in those he's learning about life in this one as well so there's still some of that and of course he's you know he's he's not you know instead of like trey you know where trey is you know the straight lace you know he's not you know you could call him a square or whatever but again He's going to get out college educated. He made it. So y'all say what you want. He's square, whatever. Wear loud clothes. He go to buggy, whatever. You know, Kane, you know, he was the gang, but he was the one. He robbed you, Jackie, you know, was hanging with the boys, you know, drinking. And, you know, with him, his story is, you know, again, 
it was indicative of what was going on at the time. You know, he found somebody. Um, of course, Ronnie, uh, she was already a single mother as well. Uh, he basically, at some point in the movie, did get the okay from one of his, you know, his OG partners that I was okay to mess with. Because again, you know, you don't just go messing around with your partner's girls. That's, you know, again, I, I thought that was like, oh, for real blood. <laughs> and he in jail, that's kind of cold. But again, I guess he was never going to get out or whatever his situation was. And uh, Ronnie decides to take him to Atlanta. Oh, black Atlanta. The mecca for black people trying to move out of California. Let's, uh, we could make a thousand jokes about that situation right there, or any, or, or Texas. Oh God, that's the top ten. That's the top two places people that leave California, especially black people, want to go to Atlanta or Texas. God damn. But anyways, you know, the the street life, of course. You know, it finds a way to keep up with Kane. Either you know he's caught up with the police on some you know some bogus tip where they kind of just leave him. You know, they beat him up and they leave him stranded in the Mexican, you know, neighborhood. Luckily for them, it wasn't a, a gang that wasn't, you know, that wasn't violent towards them or hated them. They were kind of neutral and they just said, you know, helped them out, you know, got them along their way. You know what I'm saying? So he was in that situation. Then he got caught up, you know, with the with the robbery. You already know Bill Duke. You know you're fucked up, right? That, see, that's all I, you know, uh, ended, you know what I'm saying, right there. So he got caught up with that, but I, he ends up, you know, getting away from that. You know, and then finally, you know, he he gets to the main part of, you know, all the drama. So he thinks he's about to move to Atlanta. He's got to get out of there. No, he gets fired on. And it's cold. But again, you know, it's a, again, it's a depiction of what's, you know, going on in these streets. You know, it, you don't know when it's going to come to you. And that's what he was. That's what the Hughes brothers was trying to tell you here. This movie came out in 1993, by the way, a couple years later. And this one, again, hit on different on, on a different level, because, again, you you saw somebody in the riffraff. You saw somebody, you know, the, the process of him going to Jackson Mighty at the at the uh, the drive which happens a lot. Well, I don't know if it happens like it used like back in the day. I mean, it happened a lot back in the day. I don't know if it happens so much nowadays. They don't really report on it. They probably do. But again, it it, it seems to me that it was a problem prevalently back back in them days. <laughs> when that movie came out, they must have been doing that like every other day <laughs> if you had some rims. So uh, again, so you get the chance to see what's going on again. You get to see shit like you know them cooking up crack so you know it gave you a different side of it uh where trey was just like these are my observations i'm going through this this is amongst me but i'm you know i'm not really with it you know again because even trey had the chance to go you know get some revenge but he's like nah nah fam you know that's not me Give, let me out let me out though <laughs> it ain't nothing wrong with that he knows his lane again that's something nick cannon should do i'm gonna keep roasting nick cannon because i'm yeah bro anyways that's something that McCann should be doing. Worry about staying his lane. Again, you know, Kane's lane was banging. He was the for real dude. He, you know, he was, you saw him cooking crap with two shows. He was like, oh, okay. This movie is for real. They really, you know, showed you. MC8 uh, had a pretty decent role in this. Lawrence Tate, I mean, again, Old Dog was a savage. They both were savages. Um, you know, just showing you again what the Cali life was like, what the gangster life you know, was entailed, uh, MCA being somebody from the, you know, the streets, the real streets, you know, giving some, um, revelance and credence, and I guess you would say it like a pass to the movie, you know, I, I, I respected that, uh, Too Short being in the movie as well, both of them being, you know, from the, sh the street, pretty much gives it a, you know, a okay, so yeah, yeah, they doing the right thing here, they talk about, you know, the right stuff for the most part, of course, they gotta edit it for the Hollywood, but, you know, it's for the most part it's a it's a good adaptation of what's going on you know so um i definitely um like this one a lot i probably i i, I don't think i liked it or it hit me as hard as boys in the hood did, did me or the next movie i'm about to talk about did but i'm gonna give this one an eight and a half out of ten again it's just one of those things it's part of the trifecta of those those hood movies that really went in and dissected what was going on in my opinion this was a completely different you know outcome because it was a different circumstance again he again this was from the top from his whole inception it was different he didn't he grew up without his parents as opposed to trey having you know parents again separated but again 
having both parents. So again, different circumstances, just like this last one I'm gonna be talking about here, uh, South Central. Now this one will come out in 1992. Now this one was different from the, from the bunch because again, this one was not directed by a brother. This was directed by Stephen Milburn Anderson. And that's not to take anything away from the movie because in my opinion, in my humble opinion, this is my favorite of the three. I'm gonna break down why. Um, this is an adaptation of a 1987 novel, Crips by Donald Baker. Uh, this was a book basically referring to the, the LA gang culture in South Central at the time. And uh, mind you, uh, that's kind of how all these movies took place. I'm pretty sure there were some East Coast, you know, gangster movies. There were some of those, like, you know, New Jack City and all that. But, you know, uh, there was a, a period in time, like right after the Chronic came out, where all that was all gangster. It was all West Coast for just like a, a brief moment, and all these movies were even taking place in South Central, somewhere in LA. You had uh, Poetic Justice moving all the way up to Oakland and showing parts of Oakland. So it was it was it was a Cali thing, uh, you know. Minister Society was in Watts. It was basically discussing them. It was talking about Watts, uh, even up to like you know even Training Day. You was back in Watts, and you know so it's a it's a you know so it's a homage to you know these West Coast hills. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just you know saying that was the trend. That's all. I'm just I'm just identifying what the trend was. Um, now this book again, this book was written by a teacher. I believe he was teaching in the Compton School District, something like that. So he actually had firsthand knowledge about what was going on. He was in those schools where it was active. Now. I, I don't know how LA was when it comes to that. I I never experienced it because I ain't live in LA. But apparently, you know, apparently it was lit, especially in the eighties after high school. That's what they tell you. That's what the that's what the OGs they telling telling you on on DJ Vlad or whatever whatever interview they get on. They be like, man, they fight you like gang fight. I, I'm cool. I'm glad we didn't have to go through that at Berkeley. I ain't got time for that. I really wouldn't have probably learned or graduate. <laughs> I've been fighting too much. I ain't got time for that. Uh, and I'm a neutral, so that means I got to take some from everybody. Oh, no. Nope. I'll be in trouble every day. Anyway, this class uh, consists of uh, Glenn Plummer, uh, really an OG vet in all those, you know, uh, Cali gangster movies and just 90s black movies in general. He was and showgirls if you if you got an open mind and you've seen that on vh1 a couple times or hbo whatever he was in that uh he plays the the, the big the main character og bobby johnson uh glenn Plummer is from richmond california so a bay area representative i'd like to point that out there as well um now you also got christian uh coleman uh he plays jimmy uh you also got byron keith men's playing ray ray the big og in the gang as well next to og bobby johnson you also got you also got carl lumbly in this one playing ali uh now ali is a special friend to the character of bobby johnson uh, we're gonna get into the story a little bit a little bit deeper now south central is a little bit different again because uh you know you you see um again we go back to boys in the hood you know trey again he lives in the hood but he's not of the hood and you know Minister Society, you got, you know, Kane, who is of the hood, he's from the hood, and he's deep with, well within it, but then finally in South Central, this one did come out in 1992, so right before, of course, Minister Society, but this one was different because it showed you the gang, and it didn't show you, it didn't show you, you know, blood versus crip and all that, but it did show you a gang hideout, a gang situation, the meetings, and what they originally were all about. And here in this one, you get the you get the you get the understanding of what it's like again to not have the father figure. You see uh, the uh, OG Bobby Johnson, his baby mama, while she's raising baby Jimmy. You know she's home, you know she becomes a hoe. She's you know pimping herself out. Uh, she's on drugs. You see that. You see you see the you see the uh, again. And these all these stories show you the different aspects. This is why these movies were so important. That's why I figured I'd talk about all three because they're get each of them. They're they're kind. I mean, you could easily say, oh man, they're carbon copies of one another. But in reality, they're giving you. You know other circumstances that sh that show up within these you know within these societies or within these communities. Again, you see in a again in Minnesota society, there's no parents involved. 
in South Central, you see why those parents aren't involved. Again, OG Bobby Johnson is locked up. He can't raise his kid. He's being caught up, uh, you know, for, you know, a shooting. Uh, I remember because they used the, the potato as a silencer. I thought it was crazy. That was maiming. But again, you see that. You see, you know, what happens. You see the incarceration. This is where Carl Lumbly's character comes in. That's Ali. Because again, you see the interactions when you are in the prison yards. You saw, you know, you see the Aryan said, 15 box. Because they's finna fuck your boy up. 15 box. You already saw his partner, one of his, uh, one of his, uh, club partners, uh, Loco, I think. Yeah, Loco strung out in there, you know, druggy up in there. So, again, you saw those elements of that. You saw the element of somebody, you know, looking for redemption within that incarceration. You didn't see that in, you know, you didn't see that in men's society. You didn't see that in boys in the, boys in the hood. So, again, it, you might, on the surface, you know, your regular critic is going to tell you, oh, this is just a carbon copy. This is just an inferior copy of Boys in the Hood. Or this is just a, a more violent, if you're talking about menace to society, this is just a more violent copy of Boys in the Hood. You'd be surprised what you hear the mainstream critic tell you about these movies. It's like, did you even watch it? Do you even understand the depths in which these stories are going to? So again, uh, again, you see in, in South Central the development of a game the the stipulations and and just and just the kind of beast that you have even in between members okay um and then you see like i said you see the redemption of somebody coming out of jail and then again while he's in prison you see what it's like for his son on the outside without him his son goes up and he comes and he joins the same gang he was in and his son gets wrapped up in pretty much the same type of situation that was going to lead him down the same path and uh you see bobby johnson's character go through hell and back to get him back he had to face down his old his old partner ray ray and tell him look man we didn't have a father figure we didn't have this growing up let me provide him that let me get him out of this and uh again you see a situation in which you know you know these situations happen ray ray thinks about it you know and he could have easily murked both of them. He could have easily murked Bobby Johnson for trying to interrupt on what he's doing, but he didn't. He let them he let them walk away. You know, these are situations that happen, and every one of these movies uh, did their best to showcase a different aspect of the gang environment of the, the South Central Los Angeles, the South Lane lifestyle, and you know the negatives and some of the positives of some some of the things that we're you know you know. You know, allowing to happen despite, or you know, making happen despite the situation. Again, you see Trey, you know, despite seeing the violence around him, him being this close to being a part of something that could have wrecked his whole situation. Up, you see him pick himself up, uh, maintain the relationship, and then go on, uh, you know, retain his friendships and his relationship with his woman, and then move on and go to college, just like she is. And they end up going, you know, to, to similar colleges. So it's not like their relationship ended. So he had an opportunity to keep that going and further his life um and you see the father the father figure uh you know his mom in the middle of that movie tries to put him down because of his socioeconomic status and the lack of him having a degree but he's the one that sees to it that the son gets to the college you know what i'm saying so you saw that that positivity you saw despite the negativity that sometimes the female element might place on us and it's real it, it happens they try to they try to he tried they she, she tried to belittle him but again Trey knew what the deal was he was respectful of his father and you could and you could see that his upbringing and his, and his outcome showed that again you see another aspect in um when it's a society where again Kane makes you know he's he's you know one step in one step out he's trying to find a way out you've seen that story so many times he's he's one step away and then it, it all falls apart either he's locked up or it ends in somebody getting shot up and we've seen that story so many times in our own real life situation though we've heard about it all in our real life situation so you know again these are aspects that are real you know in south central same thing father gets locked up the mother is forced to find some way to take care of a child on her own you know, again, you see how these gangs form in the first place in that movie. What what is what is their congregation like? What are they mean? What do they meet? Where do they meet? Why are they meeting? You know, what is their what is their in game? You learn about that. You know, 
And you learn that it's about, you know, manipulating people, manipulating certain people, especially younger ones. And you saw that manipulation. You saw how they get to the weak. You saw how they, they come at you by saying, yeah, your daddy was a part of this. You should be a part of this too. You Bobby Johnson's kid. So it was deep. There were all three deep movies for South Central. I'm giving this one a 10 out of 10. And yes, it was my favorite of the three. Uh, these, but these are all three great, brilliant uh, films that exhibit the black experience. I would recommend all three. Um, and I would not listen to too much of what any mean mainstream or, you know, Metacritic might say. I wouldn't listen to that. I look at it for yourself uh, with an open mind and of an understanding of, of what our situation is. And what I mean by that is what black people's situation is in America. That's how you're going to understand a movie like that. All right, y'all. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be breaking down some NFL. Yes, we're going to be uh, previewing uh, the next couple of games here, the, the championship round, uh, well, the conference championship round. And then finally, we're going to be talking about uh, a coaching change there in uh, Cleveland. And then also, like I said, we have a set of a, set of a union address for those guys as well so i'll be right back y'all Let's get into some NFL for a little while. We're going to, uh, first of all, we're going to dive through these conference championships for a little bit. Uh, let's start off with the AFC, of course. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to be facing off against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, this one should be a an eye-opening one, to say the least, for either team. I think uh, for the Chiefs, they want to they want to be able to get over that hump and actually get to a Super Bowl. Uh, for many years, uh, people have touted a lot of what um, they've, they've highly touted uh, what a Andy Reid can do on the offensive side of the ball, uh, especially when he's, well, especially since he's gone to Kansas City and especially with the inception of Patrick Mahomes. So I think for them, um, they're going to have to, I mean, for them, they want to get over to the next tub and at least, you know, have a Super Bowl appearance. Um, again, there's a lot of questions along their defense, but they usually end up getting, you know, to, out to an early lead on people. Um, however, things weren't so easy in the divisional round with the Texans. Uh, but again, the offense um, just out of nowhere caught fire. So they can catch fire at any time. That's their biggest thing right now. Um, on the surface, it might be an easy Kansas City pick. But of course, we have Derrick Henry. And he's been having a monster so run so far. Uh, I believe he's averaging about 180 yards per game. Uh, I believe that's an NFL record, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so again, can't, uh, sorry, uh, Tennessee is looking to run the ball. Of course, if Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill, excuse me, can make some plays, uh, that would be. Uh, that would put them over the top as well. But I think they're looking first and foremost to establish that run. So that's going to be the thing. Uh, Kansas City, who normally hasn't really had a great rushing defense, is going to have to... Um, it's going to have to make some changes. Maybe put a couple extra guys in the box or something. Um, I, I, Not to say that... See, the thing about it is... I would I would want Tannehill to throw because not only do I want him to throw and and and, and have to, and you know you know, have him throw to win the game I want him to get his receivers involved as well because I think you know John New Smith he, he caught one touchdown pass but this receiver unit um, I I think is probably the weakest of anybody who's in the playoffs right now and that's behind the San Francisco 49ers uh, I think. Um, you know, you have the tight end John New Smith there, but I'm not too sure what they got in the receiving department as well. I'm not too sure we can make those big key grabs uh, when the running game isn't working. So uh, I would I would give the, the, the Titans a knock there. I feel that, you know, what makes Kansas City offense work is the fact that they're able to create, you know, open space in the passing game and they're able to hit open receivers. Patrick Mahomes hits open receivers and those receivers, you know, you know usually end up catching those passes, whether it be Travis Kelsey. Nicole Hardman, Tyree Kill, uh, they pretty much have hands and they get into the open field. That is what leads to them scoring a lot. So there's nothing, and nothing but that's not to say that uh, Tennessee can't disrupt that. I just feel, you know, since uh, Kansas City, you know, they're so, you know, adept at passing that ball, I feel that uh, even if, you know, the Titans could come up with some 
with some plan to, to shock them early, I, you know, it's almost like the Houston game all over again. I, I feel like they can, they are at least capable of getting themselves out of a rut as opposed to if you sh- if you shut down Tennessee's running game, I, I'm not 100% sure that Tannehill can lead them uh, lead them to a victory. I'm pretty sure Patrick Mahomes, just with his with his skill set, uh, will be able to lead them to the top. However, I, I do feel that if Damian Williams is left in check, he can be an X factor. That is the thing. I think the, the the Chiefs have an X factor. The Tennessee Titans do not necessarily have an X factor outside of of, of Derrick Henry. If he's not if he's not churning at a six six he's not getting six yards per carry seven yards per carry uh helping them get first downs i i think they're in a world of trouble that being tennessee i just think that kansas city's offense can just spark up at any time and they're out of nowhere you're they're putting 50 on you or even 60 so i, I wouldn't sleep on kansas city uh but uh, I, I saw a great game uh, in that divisional matchup between the, the, the Titans and the um, the, the Ravens. Uh, the the Titans defensive line, uh, more notably Jarrell Casey, he he was able to get a couple sacks. And they were able to get a lot of pressure and bottle up a mobile quarterback uh, such as uh, Lamar Jackson. So again, it wouldn't shock me if they were able, especially early, uh, you know. Mahomes is mobile as well, but he's not a runner per se, so he's not gonna actually, you know, actually go. I mean, unless there's an open crease, now he can do it. Uh, he, he thinks he has the speed; he'll probably do it. But he's not gonna be looking uh, to to scramble, uh, well, to run as much as Lamar. But he might scramble a little bit, so that might lead him to get into a couple sacks because I don't think he's the, the runner that Lamar Jackson is. So I don't think he's gonna avoid all of that. So I think the Tennessee Titans have a, a chance there. You also got Logan Ryan in that secondary. Uh, and that secondary in general with Bayard back there at the safety spot, that is nothing to sneeze that sneeze, sneeze that either. And that's probably going to have to be one of their keys to the game. They're going to have to uh, either get to Patrick Mahomes or effectively lock down. Uh, well, it's going to be hard because you have three legitimate receivers. There. You have Tyreek Hill. You also have uh, Travis Kelsey and Nicole Harmon. That being one of the best receiving tandems you got right now so it's going to be a tall order uh but if uh the titans want to get it done of course derrick henry is going to have to be able to run uh of course ryan tendall is going to have to make a play or two with his arm he's definitely going to have to make a play or two with his arm he might be uh able to run on a couple plays and use his legs but he's definitely going to have to uh, have a significant drive at least he can at least in which he's able to lead them to some field goals or lead them to a touchdown even if it if it means getting them to you know the one yard line you know with a big pass play and just allowing derrick henry just to go into the end zone that helps as well. Uh, I think for Tennessee, they're gonna have to keep the game close. Uh, they're gonna have to even probably force some interceptions, fumble strips, just like they were able to do against Lamar Jackson. That's the only way you can believe, really, you know, uh, you know, counter. I mean, give yourself a type of victory like that because again, or at least ensure that you have a victory like that because for a team like uh, the Chiefs, they they they're looking to score on every possession and they could just about do that. So I don't think the key is just to stop them on every possession. You want to. You want to force them to turn the ball over as well and take that possibility of points completely away from them. You don't even want them to be able to drive down the field and to get into the field goal range. You want to take points and opportunities away from them. That's the only real way you're going to beat them because every time they're going to get the ball, they're going to be looking to score points. So, uh, again, and that's how they end up piling points on people. So, on this one, uh, my my brain is telling me go with Kansas City. Uh, they are the favorite, uh, but you never know. And I, would, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be completely surprised if uh, the Tennessee Titans would be able to pull up the off upset. If they're able to get to the quarterback, they're able to get to Mahomes, and they're able to establish that running game. And again, Tannehill's going to have to make at least one or two decent plays. I, I would honestly think he would need at least two passing touchdowns just to be on the safe side, if not three. Uh, that's just my opinion there. Uh, I look at it like a probably a low-scoring game, but it possibly could get to the point where you know 40 points max maybe even 50 points uh depending depending on what kansas city is able to do uh but let's move on to the nfc championship we have the niners facing off against the packers a great playoff rivalry uh this one i feel like i'm a little bit on the fence about um i've thought about it day after day with this one i feel like i want to go with the, the, the 49ers uh but then again <sighs> No, you know what? I, I feel I feel comfortable going with the 49ers, but they both have a pass rush. Uh, 
albeit uh, the Packers have better linebackers. I think the Niners have better defensive linemen. Secondary, that's that that's up for question, but I like the Niners' safeties. Uh, man, um, quarterback play. Wow. Um, of course, you have Jimmy G. He looks to be the better quarterback over the course of the season. It looks like he's had the better numbers. It just overall looks looks like, you know, if you give him the eye test, it looks like uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has looked better in certain occasions. But then again, you have Aaron Rodgers, who has the experience. So this one, I'm very, uh, very much on the fence about. Uh, both running games, I feel, are capable. I like the Niners game, uh, running game a little bit more. I like the Niners offensive line as well in this one uh as far as the receivers go i'm iffy on that because i feel as though if we're talking about the team with the best all-around wide receiver then it'll be the packers however the well the best receiver with the turn of, in terms of the total package uh it might be uh george kittle for the niners however i feel like they both just have really one prominent receiver uh to go amongst them uh i think you do have a you do have somewhat of a threat in jimmy graham uh for the niners they're gonna have their auxiliary pieces like kendrick Bourne. Uh, possibly Emmanuel Sanders could be in the mix. Oh, you do have Debo Samuel there. Uh, so again, they both kind of have the a two or three solid receivers, solid receiving threats. Uh, really, that they have one real notable one. Honestly, if we're being honest here for the Packers, uh, it's gonna be uh, be a boy, uh, Levante Adams, and of course Kittle for the Niners. So they both have one primary receiving threat. Honestly, uh, so it, it's hard for me to say. Honestly, uh, at this point, this is a game that I'm just gonna have to see from beginning to end. I, I don't expect I don't expect a high scoring game in either game honestly uh well I, I take the yeah I don't I say the only the only time it's going to be a high scoring game is if it's going to be a blowout now the only team that I see getting a blowout would be the Chiefs so this one I, I, I see it maybe uh wow 25 points max between both teams uh 25 you know 25 points combined for both teams maybe slightly under 30 maybe 32 something like that i don't see it being you know some some monster game it's going to definitely come down to the last uh, in terms of points it's going to definitely come down to the last possession and it's going to be a hard defensive game because I think both of these path pass rushes, despite where they're coming from, for the Niners, it's coming from right up on the front seven. Uh, and for the Packers, of course, it's going to come from their linebackers primarily. They can still, they can, both of those units can still get to quarterback. So uh, those are those are two X factors for both teams right now. And that's why I can't really find a favorite at the moment. Uh, but let's move on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Cleveland Browns before we get into my you know what? Let's just let's just start off with this, my state of the union. Let's just do it. Let's just do my state of the union address. Browns fans, for people who follow the Browns, whoever, you've had a very very rough year. But I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't feel for you. I don't feel for your six and ten. I don't care for your. Th- I don't. I don't feel for your third place finish in the AFC North. But of course, you're not expecting me to. A lot of you probably don't care, right? That's what you're gonna say. Six and ten, trash. Third in the AFC North when everybody, you know, from your side was saying, oh, we're going to go to the playoffs. We're going to win the division. I knew it was a lie. I knew it was a lie. You weren't going to beat Baker Mayfield isn't better than Lamar Jackson. We know this, despite what the playoffs has shown you. Lamar Jackson is going to get better. I don't know about Baker Mayfield. He might be a bust in disguise. That's my opinion. I'm still still, uh, on the fence about him. I'm not buying him. Okay, this is the team that was uh, 20th in scoring offense, 20.9 points a game. Couldn't even average 21 points a game. 22nd in total defense, uh, 366.1 yards allowed per game. So everybody scored on you. You were 30th against the run. People ran on you. And uh, you were decent against the pass. You were 7th against the pass. Just only 238 yards a game allowed. But no, no real significant turnovers on this team you can't force the ball out of people's hands you weren't sacking people like you should have with miles garrett you overrated no one feels for that 22nd in overall offense again bottom of the league 340 uh, yards on average per game uh they were 12th against the run that was one good aspect of their their offense this year you had nick chubb getting eight touchdowns on 1400 yards over 1400 yards almost 1500 yards actually so a good season from him but of course you were poor in passing no real cohesion 
uh, with the quarterback and his wide receivers. Baker Mayfield completed 59% of his passes, garbage. 3,827 yards, decent, but the 22 to 22 to 21 touchdown interception ratio, let's be real here, not cool at all. You guys gave about 24.6 a game on defense. Everybody scored on you. Everybody had a good day with you, starting with the Rand, with the, with the Titans, excuse me, week one, obliterating you guys. After so much so much hype over the offseason, we had to hear about you know how good you were, how, how this could be the best Browns team ever. He was feeling it. Here comes Baker Mayfield all over the commercials. Look at me, look at my face. And you sucked. You laid an egg for the net for the world to see on opening day and it never got better yeah you stunned baltimore in the second week of the season or whatever that that you know fluke of a game happened but that was it that was it your whole season was a sham and uh, you did you did your fans a disservice yeah yeah and then you got the nerd to get into a fight with mason rudolph mason rudolph did this whatever both of you teams were disappointments. Pittsburgh in their own way, but specifically you guys. You know, all the hype, all the all the media coverage, the media wanted to give you, the media was so ready to, to, to crown Baker Mayfield. And it's funny because y'all should be more critical of Baker Mayfield than you are of Lamar Jackson. Baker Mayfield's the one that obviously didn't do his homework in the offseason. He obviously didn't improve. He obviously got two great receivers and couldn't do shit with them. OBJ had 74 catches for 1,035 yards and four touchdowns. He sold him come get me after every game. That quarterback sucks. I don't hear them talking about like that to Derek. I don't even hear Raiders receivers talking like that to Derek Carr. I don't hear, uh, you know, Vikings receivers saying that about, um, you know, Kirk Cousins. Get me out of here. Do you hear Stephen Diggs say that? Did you hear Adam Thielen say that? No. Um, I think it's indicative to who his character is and not only his character, but his skill set. His skill set, I'm be starting to see, has been overrated. Oh, my God. Look at all the moxie he plays with. Look at, look at all the attitudes. See, that's the difference when you're a white guy. I'm telling you, you play with some moxie, you play like you have a chip on your shoulder. Oh, oh, that's amazing. Look at what he's doing. He's a small guy. Black guy doesn't. Oh, he's cocky. He's this. He's blah, blah, blah. You gave Donovan. You gave Donovan the hell shit. And he wasn't near the bum this guy was. This guy Baker is a bum. I'll see what happens next year. Yeah, grab me your crotch. I thought he thought he was so cool in Oklahoma, grabbing his crotch, making fun of the lowly Big 12 teams like Kansas. Ah ha 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 You suck. He thought he was so raw to not shake Hugh Jackson's hand at the end of the game in 2018. Ooh, I'm brushing off somebody. Look at me. Look at how bold I am. This is the same guy that had it. This is the same guy that a year later went through so many mental problems. He had to shave his his beard three times. Just to just to just to shave it all off after a game. You got issues, bruh. You got issues. And I don't think you're mature enough for this. You need the offseason to get your mind right. I don't know what you need to do. You need to you need to hang out with OBJ and Jarvis Landry and get a relationship with him and understand that this is a this is a, a friendship. This is this is work. This is business. This is not just you looking all nice for the cameras and, and, and shaking your junk in front of people, grabbing your junk in front of people like you like you're the big dog and you're not. You're obviously not. You're not you're the you're you're the, probably the worst quarterback in your division right now. I don't know what the what the you see and then and then the Bengals they draft Joe Burrow, yeah, you're gonna be the worst quarterback in the division in my opinion. You ain't ready for what Joe Burrow got. I don't think you have the drive the maturity or the mental stability to do what Joe Burrow can do. That's why you didn't win nothing significant at Oklahoma. Why we? Why did we overhype this guy? Y'all got it, man. Baker Mayfield, average QB at best. He better be. He better hope to God he can he can keep Jarvis and or OBJ. He better hope he can keep one of them. And over the offseason, he better be thanking them that they stayed and become their best friend. And they better be running routes the entire summer. I don't want to see him in not one more commercial. I don't want to see him rapping out his crotch not one more time. I don't want to see hear him calling nobody out. I don't want to hear him be getting mad about somebody being critical about him. And if he has a problem, we can talk face to face. And I don't care about how he feels. And he don't need to throw none of that shade about me. I got money. I got you. People don't respect you. So we can go. We can go there. You face me face. We can talk face to face, Mr. Baker Mayfield. If you ever feel 
mad about what I have to say. So um, you better thank God. You better hope to God that OBJ let everything go. He he want to come back. You better hope maybe you can get Jarvis Landry to stay. You better start working out with David and Joku and get better at being a quarterback. I don't care about you having an attitude. I don't care about you being bold. I don't care about what the media says about that. I ain't anybody interested in that. Mr. Baker Mayfield, go home. Anyways, they had to make a new they had to make a new uh change at the at the coaching department, of course, because of course the Freddie Kitchens experiment didn't work. They had to clean house, so they started in the kitchen. Okay, that's what happened. Spring cleaning, baby. So they went ahead and hired the OC Kevin Stefanski from the uh the Vikings. Now Mr. Stefanski, he goes back. Uh, he worked as an assistant to Brad Childress between 2006 to 2008. Uh, he was able to work with Brett Favre in his last few years active. I believe Brad Childress was working with the um, Packers at some time as well. So he got a chance to work with Aaron Rodgers as well. He would also serve as an assistant quarterback coach, of course, with the Vikings between 2009 and 2011 he was served as a tight end and running backs coach as well so he's tenured he's been around in the league uh he did that um he also became the oc after john d filippo got fired last year at the week 14 loss uh, of course this is with the vikings uh in his next two games calling games uh for the vikings that year he would go on to rack up 758 yards and also 68 points so the browns they didn't make a bad choice here uh on uh as a you know as far as this season goes he as his first full season as an offensive coordinator he would finish eighth in scoring offense with 25.4 points a game uh, he'd also finish sixth in rushing with 133 yards per game and although the passing numbers weren't as high as they would like them to be in terms of you know league ranking uh your boy uh kirk cousins would finish the year with a with the fourth best passer rating uh which was 107.4 he also would finish with a touchdown to interception ratio of 26 uh, 26 to 6 something that baker favor Baker Mayfield should be probably taking some notes up. Just saying. Just saying. And see, the thing about Kirk Cousins and the difference between Kirk Cousins and somebody like a Baker Mayfield is, is Kirk Cousins, they get... And see, this is what I don't like about the media sometimes. You see how the media is so quiet about somebody like a Baker Mayfield, but they'll drag somebody like like Lamar Jackson for two or three weeks. They'll, they'll, they'll make fun of, of Kirk Cousins every now and again for his failures. But Kirk Cousins, he's humble as hell. And when he gets a chance, he, he puts on for his team. Baker Mayfield is... I'm not going to keep using the word garbage, but he's a work in progress at best, okay? And and y'all need to be way more on his line. And I'm if if, if it takes me, I will be, I'll, if, I don't care how the world calls it, I will be the foremost authority on calling out Baker Mayfield because the media is afraid to, for whatever reason, or they don't want to. But I'm going to be calling them out. I don't care about all that. He don't get a pass because he's short, he's small, he's white, he played from Oklahoma, he whatever. No, no, we're going to drag him just like y'all did uh, Lamar Jackson, he's inefficient and he needs help. And you know what? Uh, Stefanski might be a good addition. There's some talk about them getting uh, Coach Gangarillo uh, from to be their OC. I don't know if that works. He used, to, uh, of course, uh, Vic. I believe his name is Vic, but he, of course, last year was with the Broncos. And that didn't work as well if you look at the Broncos numbers. But he was able to get them to run the ball a little bit. Of course, Philip Lindsay uh, was a, was a factor. They were able to get the running game going. In Denver, but not necessarily a quarterback or a passing game for that matter. So that's that's gonna be weird for me. I don't know how I feel about that one. Uh, but again, the Browns they got some trouble and they gotta work through it. And first and foremost, they gotta get that quarterback rock, that quarterback to be uh to tone his shit down and be mature and start taking this shit seriously. That's the first thing because he's gonna if he's mature, if he's really a solid a, a solid uh, competitor and leader, somebody like a like an OBJ is going to listen to him. Somebody like an OBJ is going to defer to him and want him to, you know, work something out with him. So is Jarvis Landry. He can improve that offensive passing game by just showing up to practice and practicing harder and really connecting with his teammates. Believe me, all this other shit, all this other getting mad at the world and, and cutting off your beard and getting all commercials, that's not going to help your game, bro. It might help your brand, but your brand, if your game ain't good, your brand will go down with it. So that's just how it is. So we're going to call the wrap for today. Browns, y'all in trouble. Y'all got to fix some things out. Y'all need to talk to your boy. Y'all need to be up on his line like, bro, go to practice. Get off social media. Every time I I would do it. If you were pleading the fan, you need to tell him. When you start going in on social media, you need to tell him, stop it. Go to practice. Call up OBJ. 
go run routes. Don't allow him to get caught up. Y'all his fan base. Cleveland, go talk to your boy. Go tell him to do go do film study with Stefanski right now. I'll do it right now. I'll start off. Well, I'll start it off. Baker, go call Stefanski right now. Y'all get film studies going for the whole offense. And I bet you y'all improve. You you go to the playoffs. Mark my words. Stop what you're doing right now. Go get a field session going and start doing it two, three times a week. You need to go hang out with your receivers. I'm telling you, you'll build your rapport up. You need to hang out with your running back. Hang out with your offensive linemen. Stop being mean. Stop being a superstar. Be a football player. Be the leader. Be the quarterback. I'm telling you, your team will be a lot better. The same advice goes with Kyrie. Stop going. Stop going on social media and going to the media talking about these players is this. I need that. No, what you need to do is you need to go to your team and say, I'm sorry, but y'all are raw. And I respect and I respect every one of you. But we need to make some improvements. Y'all, you need to work with them, practice with them, whatever you feel like you need to do because you are the leader. Stop asking to to bring in new new players and new this and complaining when you can help your team improve themselves. Uh, one word of advice from Wilson Phillips. You <laughs> you can change your mind and change your whole reality. Basically, oh, never mind. I got lost in the sauce. I was going to make it a, a cool-ass metaphor based on a song that I listened to today. It didn't work. But anyways, y'all, get to your boy. Get to your Nets fans, Browns fans. I know it was supposed to be said the union about the Browns, but again, it's the situation is similar. These guys like to just go off on the media. They like to go off on whoever. They talk about who they need and why their team isn't this and whatever when it's them. Baker Mayfield, go to practice. Get, I'm telling you, call up OBJ, call him and tell him, look, we did not have a good season. Let's work out. Let's work it out. I'm telling you, y'all go to the playoffs. Anyways, I'm going to call it a wrap for today. Tomorrow, we have conference championship action in the NFL. We got college football to talk, college basketball to talk about, and a bit of college football to go over as well, and probably a war on the street too. All right, y'all, I'm signing off for today. This is your man, L. Jamal. You already know how you can get him, uh, in touch with me. You can hit me up on the email at L. Jamal. L. Sorry, E. L. J. Butler 75 at gmail.com. E. L. J. Butler 75 at gmail.com. Once again, that is L. J. Butler 75 at gmail.com. E. L. J. Butler 75 at gmail.com. Of course, we have the Facebook page and the Instagram page. L. Jamal Johnny is where you can find me. E. L. J. A. M. A. H. A. D. J. A. N. I. Once again, that is L. Jamal Johnny. E. L. J. A. M. A. H. A. D. J. A. N. I. Finally, we have a Facebook page for the show as well at Never Out of Bounds. You can find me there. And um, for today, I'm signing out. Peace out. One love. And I'll highlight y'all later.